Anybody want to learn how to hear the voice of God? It's very important. Say it with me. The life is in his presence. And destiny is in his voice. Our life comes from his presence. And our destiny or our way forward comes from learning and understanding his voice. The life of the believer is in his voice. So I just wrote these up here. I just want to kind of point these out, just some thoughts. In efforts to protect us from illegitimate experiences, the church has created doctrines that teach the Christian that God is not speaking. Because what they're trying to do in good-hearted nature is protect people from hearing voices, as one would say, because they don't want people to have a bad experience or they don't want some peop- somebody to get into something that's off. But as soon as you silence the voice of God or e- deny the existence that the Lord is speaking, you're already off. You've already left the reservation. The voice of the Father through the Spirit enable us, enables us to process where we are. The Lord will tell you where you are. Where, what needs to be done, the Lord will give you counsel and wisdom and how to move forward. And he will tell you how to go or where to go. The voice of the Lord is insanely important to the life of the believer. Jesus said, my sheep do what? What do they do? They hear my voice. Right? One of my favorite verses is Revelation. Those who have what? Ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, not what he has said, but what he is currently saying. Say it with me, Jesus, Jesus wrote a book, but he didn't lose his voice. That's right. It is impossible to be a Christian and not hear his, it is possible, not it is impossible. It is possible to be a Christian and not hear his voice. It is possible. It is possible. You can get saved, you can get born again, you can learn principles, you can live a a life of discipline, and you can discipline yourself and live by faith through disciplines. Disciplines, say this with me, disciplines is the lowest form of discipleship. Discipline is important, but it is the lowest form of discipleship. It is the default system, it is the foundation. So when in doubt, if you don't know how to do it, then discipline yourself to do it. But we're not to follow Jesus merely out of discipline. Discipline, all discipline is, is a fallback. Where we are to follow Jesus is out of relationship. Disciplines are foundational to our faith, but they are exactly that, foundational. Right? We develop and grow and become through relationship. And so it's possible to be a Christian and not hear his voice. We have lots of churches that will teach Christians that, they don't, that God's not speaking I just read a very famous pastor, and he had a whole blog, and he speaks some very powerful things, but he doesn't believe God speaks. He says, how do you hear the voice of God? He goes, well, we don't teach people to hear voices. That's what he said. Well, I'm not looking for voices. I'm looking for the voice of the Father. When he speaks, everything changes. In a word, in but a moment, he shifts everything. And without that, nothing can change. Your destiny is increased through his voice. Wisdom is increased. And the arsenal that by, and your learning to hear is your arsenal or your weapons against the enemy and your weapons in forging or your tools in forging life are increased when you learn to hear his voice. So we're talking about kaleo, hearing. Next slide. Or the call. Here it is. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
Voices have signatures. So Jesus is relating to us. He relates to us in many ways. But one of the ways he relates to us is he's a shepherd and we're the sheep. He follows us. We follow him. He takes care of us. He trims us, right? He leads us and feeds us and waters us and loves us and all that other stuff. That's one of the aspects of our relationships with him. We have many different ones. We know him as prophet. We know him as priest. We know him as king. We know him as the heart of the father. We know him all of these different ways. Perfect theology, all of that. Psalm 23, David understood this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Could it be that that Psalm 23 is only possible when we learn to hear his voice? Just a question. Jesus shows us the essence of the relationship of the shepherd with the sheep. It's through the voice. And so David is talking about the Lord being the shepherd and all of the wonderful things that the shepherd will do for us. Well, he does that through his voice. He'll make you lie down in green pastures. He'll show you where to rest. He'll show you where to go. We learn to follow him. He leads you beside still waters. Well, how does he lead you? Through his voice. Through the impressions, the inclinations, the understanding, the actual words of his voice. He teaches you and shows you how to do it. And I would argue that Psalm 23 or the fulfillment of Psalm 23 is only possible when we learn to hear his voice. Every scripture is intended to be experienced. Every promise is intended to be experienced. We quote this like it's a poem, but is it a poem or is it a promise? Will he actually lead us beside still water? Will he actually restore our soul? Will he actually lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake? Can we actually go through the valley of the shadow of death? Can we actually fear no evil? How do we not fear evil? Because of his voice. The Holy Spirit is the voice of the Father upon the heart. Very, very important. Where people go wrong is they're trying to hear God in the intellect. And do you know why? Because you've been trained that way from the time you were a child. Our culture trains you to think in the realms of the mind or even the five senses. What you see, what you feel, what you taste, what you touch. I think I got all of them. One, I don't know, maybe missing one, but it, we're trained to experience in the realm of the senses. Then we're trained to scientifically or logically understand it. And that if it can't be proven, then it, can't, it should not be believed. Okay, proving things and believing things that are proven are good, but that's not the essence of the gospel. Jesus does insanely unreasonable things that, you know, the proof is in the spirit. It's just different things along that line. The Holy Spirit is the voice of the Father upon the heart. We have to understand that the Spirit of God does not speak in the realm of the mind. The Bible says His Spirit does what? Bears witness with where? Our spirit, our heart, our inner being. His Spirit doesn't bear witness with the mind. You got it? So people go, I'm just going to hear God, and I don't hear Him. Because He's not speaking to the psyche. He's speaking to the pneuma. Spirit is psyche so the soul or the emotional level of the man or the mind, mind, will, and emotion is in the Greek is called psyche. It's where we get the word psychic. Spirit is the Greek word pneuma and the body is the word soma. And so while the Lord is not speaking to the soma, he's not speaking to the psyche, he is speaking to the pneuma. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Emotions and senses are very important. They're given to us to experience the Lord with. You understand that? It is through our senses, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
we feel him, we experience him, he encounter him, we, we, we can do all those things, but the senses are not meant to lead us. Logic has its place, but logic does not have its place at the expense of the mind of Christ. Logic does not have its place at the expense of faith. Faith is the impossible. Faith is the unreasonable. God says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. In other words, I'm a little bit smarter than you. As my ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and so are my thoughts above your thoughts. In other words, I've got to relate how I am to you in such simplistic terms as to show you heaven and earth. I'm a little bit above you. So what I do may not make sense to your finite mind. What I do may not make sense to your rational mind. What I say may not make sense to you either. We've got to be okay with that. God is not looking for a people that are locked in that world. They worship him in spirit and truth. Not truth, spirit and truth. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. Very important to understand. God is not looking for people who relate to him only in the soundness of doctrine and of the intellect. He wants people that will do unreasonable things. Hear his voice and do unreasonable things. Things that don't make any sense. We sing a song. You make me brave. You call me out upon the water and into the waves. Does that make any sense? But that's what he's doing. He's calling you from the possible into the impossible. He's calling you from the finite into the infinite. He's calling you from the natural into the supernatural. And that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But we follow nonetheless. What happens with us, okay... When we follow the Lord, God does not reveal it on the front end. He gives you a direction and you follow him. And you know when it makes sense? On the backside. When we look, this is how God works, right? This is how men work. Men go, it has to make sense and then we're going to do it. It all has to be perfect and then we're going to do it. God doesn't work like that. He tells you go that way. What doesn't make any sense? It doesn't matter. I'm telling you go that way. And when, what, why? He's not going to give you all the whys. He's going to say because I said so. And when you start stepping into the why and you start moving into it, then all of a sudden everything makes sense. But it will not make sense to you always on the front side. It just won't. There are occasions when that is true, but that is not entirely true. For the most part, God calls you into the mystery. Mysterion. Is where he calls you into the mysterion, into the unknown, beyond yourself. So the Holy Spirit is the one who's speaking to us. He is the government of heaven released upon the earth. He is the power to the believer and he is the absolute final authority. What he says is law, spirit law. And when we agree with what he says, spirit law becomes natural law. There's a thought for you. We make his world our world. We manifest the kingdom when we partner and agree and hear and understand what the Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit, you're born of the Spirit, John chapter 3. We're born again. The Bible says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. That's 1 Peter. So we're babies born of the Spirit. But Romans tells us that we become, say it with me, mature, mature. sons and daughters, when we learn... To be led by the Spirit of God. Romans says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. We talk about being sons and daughters. What does it look like? It looks like learning to be led by His Spirit. By His Spirit. There's a difference between Logos and Ramos. We're going to talk about that. Maturity does not come through discipleship alone. 
We think if we can just discipline ourselves and discipline ourselves, then we're mature because we don't smoke, drink, chew, or hang out with those that do. We've got all of our externals in order. That's not maturity. Maturity is learning to hear the voice of the Father. Maturity is not just having disciplines in your life, but learning to step into the things that your Father is calling you to do and to be. Disciplines create a safety net for cowards. I got news for you. I've been around a lot of disciplined pastors, disciplined structures and everything. They got all their junk hidden on the backside, but the, the forefront of what they present is disciplined and structured. But they're cowards and will not step by faith into anything if they can't rationally understand it. It's not the way of the Father. Now, you can live that way, and you can be loved of God that way, but you're not going to have destiny that way. It's the difference, say it with me, it's the difference, it's the difference. Between, measure between measure and fullness. You can live by measure if you want to, Christian, and Jesus will love you just the same. Or you can want fullness. So you can live in discipline, and you can live in these, you can live certain ways, and you can have the measure of Christ. Right? Or we can step out and become sons and daughters and begin to learn and learn and live and experience the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but I prefer to fly with eagles and not walk with turkeys. That's just me. <laughs> We're never meant to operate exclusively out of discipline. We're not. And again, I'll stress to you, because somebody's going to hear me wrong, say it with me. Disciplines are important but they are a measure. The voice of the Spirit will lead me into fullness. I'm not denouncing disciplines. By, we, we, we do EMT. We do Bible school. We do, all, we do foundations because we want to teach you disciplines. So we're really into disciplines. We do a radical five because we want to teach you disciplines. But the higher calling of sons and daughters is really what we're going for. So we want to, we want to give the baby the crib and give all of the developmental things that are necessary. And we've all been there, so don't get mad at yourself or anything like that. I'm trying to show you the higher calling. We press on towards the what? Upward calling. So what is the upward calling? Sons and daughters. What does that look like? Well, it tells us. Next slide. So we can hear his voice. Matthew said this. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. The Greek word for proceed is continual action. It does, in other words, it doesn't mean every word that has proceeded. You know what I'm saying? Every word that is continually proceeding forth from the mouth of God. It is, the, it is in the continual present tense. So in other words, what the Bible is indicating is God is speaking. And we live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of his mouth. Jesus is making a comparison. As bread is to the body, so is the voice to the spirit. Are you going to leave? What did Peter say? Where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. When you speak, I come alive. When I hear you, I burn with life. I illuminate when you speak to me. We should jones for his voice. We should hunger like deers panting for the water. We should learn that that is where life is. That is where destiny lies, in his presence and from his presence, his voice. It is a continual thing. As bread is for the body, so is the voice of God to the spirit. You guys are being enlightened here this morning because the life of God is being released to you. I'm not just teaching you word. My words are spirit and life. I'm speaking from the spirit. So you're hearing the spirit of God. That's why there's, you know, people go, well, I don't understand what's different because I'm not reading from a sheet. It's a little different. We can read from a sheet and we can get a lecture. I can do that. I can do that no problem. 
And sometimes that's a lot easier than standing up here and flying by the seat of my pants and trying to, not knowing where this one's going. Okay, I'm going down this way. Where am I going? But he's always got something good. The word of the Lord is logos, which is where we get the word logo. It's really reflected in your written word. So how, what is the word of the Lord? What is the voice of God? Logos is established reflective counsel. We get the word logo from that. So when you hold up a logo, right, you see somebody's logo or imprint, it's a reflective counsel or a reflection of who that person is, right? So like when you see like, I don't know, Ford or I don't know, Hilton, you think something when you see the logo. And it's a reflection of who they are. Rhema is an insight into who they are. Rhema is experience. It's one thing to know about, I don't know, what's that, what's that hotel that everybody knows their name, you know, when you come. Was Ritz Carlton? Is that, what is it? Rose, you don't help me out. Is that your hotel, Rose? Is that the hotel? <laughs> There's a hotel where they, they know you. It's one thing to know about that hotel. It's another thing to go there and actually experience it. Logos, you're looking at it, observing it. Wow, it's an interesting place. But then when you actually go there and experience it and encounter it, it shifts. You understand that? That's how God speaks. He speaks through his logos and he speaks through his rhema. His rhema is his voice. His rhema is his spirit. His rhema is what illuminates what is true. So again, you look at a hotel, there it is. You go in, you experience it, and all of a sudden everything that you thought is illuminated to you for good and bad. You've experienced a rhema because you've went there. We get this? This is how God is. Most Christians are locked only in the logos. Only in the logos. Bless God, brother. Sound doctrine is all we need. Is this all sound? I'm all for sound doctrine. But the Bible says that you would encounter the love of Christ, that you would experience who he is, that you would know him and in the fullness of who he is. Then Paul says that you would experience and grow in your understanding in what is actually yours. That's a little different than just knowing it. It's, he's talking about experiencing it. That you would know that you're more than a conqueror. That you would know that you are loved. That you would know that you're on purpose with a person. Not knowing in your mind. It's the Greek word experience. That it would become real to you. So how do we hear the voice of the Lord? Isn't that the question? So we have his logos. I'm all for logos. You guys ever read your Bible and as you're reading, boom, something just illuminates to you? Yes. Right? God so loved the world. And you're like, the world? God loved. Like, wow, that word love is just coming at me, man. The world, he loved the world. Why did he love the world? It's because the Holy Spirit is ministering through the counsel of the word. He's ministering to you through the logos. He's trying to minister rhema to you, right? What he wants you to do is go, why did you love, Lord? Or how do you love, Lord? Or what do, why do you love the world? And what is the world? And why are we lovable to you? What he wants you to do when he starts revealing something to you is he wants you to press in with questions. Again, a faulty discipleship technique of the church is we're arrogant answer givers. There are things that we know, but there's a whole lot of stuff we don't know. And we think we've just locked it all down. And we don't need to know anything else, and there's nothing else that can be known. There's a lot of knowledge that's out there, but there's very limited experiences what changes you. When you begin to see as he sees, and know as he knows, and understand as he understands, everything changes. We start to know, like, why did you love? What kind of way did you love, Lord? How does this love? Why did you do this? And he starts ministering it back to you. All of a sudden, the Logos becomes Rhema, and he's revealing something to you, and you're never the same. I'm all for memorizing scripture. Memorize it. 
Be an encyclopedia of the Bible. Go for it. But let the Spirit illuminate the Word to you. The Pharisees had that problem. You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. Jesus is like, man, you guys got this stuff memorized, but you completely don't understand the heart of what I'm trying to say. You got the logos down, but you don't understand the revealed. You have no understanding of what I'm really meaning. You see it over and over again. He's like, is that what you think I meant? It's like literally what he's saying. Are you serious? You think I actually meant that you can't talk to a woman? You think I actually meant that, that the rabbi shouldn't talk to a woman? You think that's what I meant? You think I meant, you really believe that I meant you don't heal on the Sabbath? You guys think I meant that? And they did. They did because all they had was logos. All they had was a written word and they never pressed in. They never elevated themselves to understand the spirit of life into the logos. You understand that? So all they had was linear. That's why the Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter's important, but not without the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the, relief, the revealer and the activator of the word itself. It's very important. So how do we hear the voice of the Lord? Number one, say it with me. I have to believe and know that he is speaking. That's the first religious cow we got to pull down. First idol that's got to come down is the fact that you have to believe that he is speaking. You got to believe that he's speaking. If you don't believe he's speaking, nobody's going to help you. Okay? He's not going to go, tuh, tuh, tuh. Kevin, I told you I'm speaking. Who is that? Who, who, who is that? I don't know. What's going on? I don't know who's talking to me there. I don't know. Off we go. <laughs> you have to believe and know that he is speaking. Secondly, you have to believe and know that he can and will speak to you. Okay? First of all, we've got to establish the concept that Jesus is speaking. Secondly, we've got to establish value and worth in you to know that he's not just speaking. He will speak to you. We get it? Those are two idols that prevent us from hearing the voice of God. They're lies that are exalted against the knowledge of Christ, that God's not speaking. And then a second one is, well, even if he is speaking, why would he speak to you? He's so busy up there. He's running the universe and spinning planets on his fingers like a globetrotter. Why does he, would he speak to you? Because you have value and you have worth. You understand that? So we have to establish a concept and we have to establish value and worth. Those are what you have to do in your heart. It's not based on feeling. You say this with me. I have value and worth, not because of me, but because of him. He who didn't put value on you, he put value on you. He didn't, you didn't say you're worthy. He said you're worthy. You didn't say I'm a son or a daughter. He said you're a son and a daughter. You get it? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Excuse me for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. So we have to understand value and worth, and we have to understand that he will speak to you. He will speak to you. Jesus spoke to the outcast, did he not? Okay? The Bible is testifying of this. The angels came and spoke to the shepherds. First announcement of the birth of Christ is the shepherds. The lowest of the low. Say it with me. Nobody, Nobody. talked to the shepherds. They didn't. They lived on the outside. They were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't come and worship. They had no access because they had been deemed ceremonially unclean. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't own land. They were complete and total outcasts. Yet who's Jesus talking to? Huh? Yeah. Woman at the well. As if the Pharisees weren't in shock when Jesus started talking to prostitutes and drunkards 
and healing leopards. His own disciples are in shock. They're like looking at him going, what? He's is, he, is he talking to a woman? Yeah, he's talking to a woman. But she's not even, a, she's, a, she's, she's, a, she's an outsider. Who, why, why would he talk to her? And a woman who had five husbands, okay? So it wasn't just an issue of ethnicity. It was an issue of lifestyle. So if lifestyle and ethnicity does not prevent the Lord from speaking to people, why would it prevent him from speaking to you? Why? It's true. He wasn't approving of her lifestyle. He didn't approve. Yeah, you have five husbands and the one you're with isn't even your husband. Girl, you've been around and I know. <laughs> but here's what I want to tell you. The life that you're seeking is found in me. The water that you want is found in me. It does not prevent him from speaking. You have to believe. Callous and indifferent hearts. What does that mean? You don't want to hear him. Next slide. A lot of people don't want to hear him. You're afraid what he's going to say. Let him speak. His words are life. If he corrects you, so what? You don't think he knows a little more than you? Huh? His words are correcting. Say it with me. When he speaks, he may correct. Get this one. But he will never ever, for any reason whatsoever, condemn me. He will never condemn you. So when you're hearing a voice of condemnation, it's not Jesus's, huh, Christian. If you're a non-Christian, the Lord may be going to you, look, dude, you better get it right because you're outside my kingdom and that's not really where the place you want to be because, you know, we have a concept here and you don't want to burn in hell. You want to come into my kingdom where you can have life. He may be dealing with you on giving your life to him and he may be convicting you of your sin and showing you the light of your condemnation. If you don't receive him, he may do that, but he's not going to, he never condemns his sons and daughters ever. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. He does not speak condemnation. What he speaks to you is that's not who you are, Kevin. You're off here running and doing this or thinking that or wanting that, whatever it is that we do. When the Lord speaks to you, he's telling you, you're doing this, but this is not who you are. This is who you are, so why are you doing this? That's how he talks. And so what we like is we, we, don't, we, don't, want, we don't want a loving voice over us. We want this condemning voice because somehow it makes us feel good or kind of, you know, we kind of feel like we deserve it. <laughs> That's why he's so good. He doesn't condemn you. What sin? Woman, do, I, do, do, do you have no accusers? And why, why are you still here? Rise up. I don't condemn you either. Go forward. His love calls us forward. You have to want to hear him. So not only do you have to believe that he's speaking, you have to believe that he will speak to you. The lowliest of the low, he will speak to you. Or the highest of the high, whichever your perception may be. You have to want to hear him. Say with me. If I don't want to hear him, I don't have to worry because I never will. You will not. He will not speak to you. Jesus does not cast pearls before swine. He does not cast what is holy before dogs. If you don't want to hear it, he's not going to force his voice on you. Spirit may deal with you. He may deal with you in different ways, but he's not going to talk to you if you don't want to hear it. He won't. He doesn't, I didn't say he left you. He's there, and he'll stand there and wait for you. You going to talk to me? No? Okay. Kind of following you around. You know, waiting on you. Well, God never talks to me. Do you want to hear him? Do you want to hear him? Yes. He will speak to you if you want to hear him. If you don't want to hear him, you don't ever have to have a worry. I don't have any problems. My, I got friends of mine. They're pastors. They do their thing. 
They go, oh, we don't believe God speaks. I'm like, ah, that's cool. I've never heard him. And I go, and you won't. They're like, you hear him? I'm like, all the time. All the time. <laughs> if you don't want to hear him, you don't have to worry. How do we hear him? Solomon, the Lord asked him. See, Jesus is speaking in the Old Testament. He's speaking in the New. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And the Lord asked Solomon. He didn't ask Solomon through the priest. He asked Solomon through his spirit. He said, Solomon, ask something of me. Ask. You know what Solomon asked for? Anybody know? That's the common teaching. And that's, I'm not going to, I'm not picking on you. That's awesome. I give you double high five for actually participating. Thank you for playing today. But the actual wording is a hearing ear. He didn't ask for wisdom entirely or exclusively. He asked for a hearing ear. Now, the voice of God is, is wisdom. So that's where they get the translation that he's asking for wisdom. But what he asked for is a wise and discerning heart that he would hear God and rule the people correctly. So Solomon asked to hear the voice of God. He said, above all things, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Above all things, because your word is life. Your word is everything. Riches will come if I can hear your voice. Success will come if I can hear your voice. Victory will come if I can hear your voice. Deliverance will come if I can hear your voice. Just a thought. <laughs> Ask him. Say, if I want to hear him, I need to ask him. Number two on that one is why do you want to hear him? To what end? To what end do you want to hear him? Because Solomon asked not just to hear him, but he asked for a specific reason. They say, oh, it pleased the Lord because Solomon asked to hear his voice. No, it pleased the Lord because Solomon wanted to hear in order that he would serve. Solomon wanted to hear in order that he could do something effectively with what it was the Lord was investing. Why do you want to hear? Because I want to grow because I want to be strong, because I want to learn to follow you, because I want to know who you are. All those are great reasons. Because I want, to, I, want to, I want to lead your people well. I want to establish the great work in this world. All of those things are good. But have a reason why you want to hear. Because the reason, asking releases, but the reason makes you hungry for it. When you have a reason why you want to hear, you become hungry for it. So there's a reason. Train your ears, the next one. Train your ear to hear his voice. Voices have a signature. We know that from modern technology. You can have a voice signature. You're, everybody's voice is different. The Lord's is the same. There's a tone. There's a cadence. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what we understand this to be is we go, well, we just got to read the word of God a thousand times over and over again. And while that is good, that is not what produces faith. Faith comes by hearing the Lord hearing the word and learning to hear is the rendering comes by the word of God. So what does the word of God do? The word of God is not what is producing faith. The word of God is training you to hear. You're hearing his cadence. You're hearing his tone. You're hearing what is of him and what is not of him. You're training your ear to hear his voice. Faith comes when God says, do this. You have faith, right? If the Lord were to tell you to do something and you were confident and knew, you'd have faith. There wouldn't be any doubt because you know the Lord told me to do this. So come what may, God told me to do this. I have faith to do this because I've heard. That's why we, can't, we read the scripture and we wonder why we don't have any more faith. You can remind yourself of the scripture and draw faith from that. But the power of faith comes from hearing the voice of God. Just a thought. We have to practice his presence. So we have to ask him. We have to know why we're asking him. We have to train our ears. Read the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Hear it. 
Hear his voice. Learn how he speaks. Learn his heart. Learn the cadence. I've told you guys stories before. I'd go out witnessing. I'd go out there and try to tell people about Jesus. And I was a brand new Christian. I was just fired up, full of spirit. And I'd be like, I'll go. Bum, 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 bum. I'm going out there thinking I have my Superman capes on. I'd stand in front of non-believers and I'd be like, all right, go for it, Jesus. Right now. Here I am. Mm, come on. Just say it, Lord. Just say what you want to say. Nothing would come. I go home. I'm like, why didn't you use me? Uh, you said I'd present myself. I wanted you to use me. I want you to do something through my life. Why didn't you use me? I have a dream. And I, I tell you guys a story. where I saw a filing cabinet. It was like the Lord was opening up a filing cabinet full of files, and there was nothing in the files. He was rifling through files. It's like, oh. And I woke up. I was like, wow, that's a weird dream. And I thought the Lord was showing me. You got nothing in the files, Kevin. You've not invested anything in you, so what do you think? I'm, how, how, how am I going to use you if you've not put anything in you? Let's see. Let's talk. Well, there's that file's empty. Let's go down. Well, that one's empty, too. So nothing was happening. We have to practice his presence. What does this mean? Everybody say time and quietness. What does quietness mean? It means lack of distractions. It doesn't mean you have to sit in silence, you know, and do Gregorian chants. Um, you know, you don't do that. But it means lack of distractions. You can have worship music playing in the background. Time and quietness is a lack of distractions. Here's Isaiah. He awakens me morning by morning. It's, not just, it's a lifestyle. We practice his presence in time and quietness as a lifestyle. He awakens me morning by morning. What does he do when he wakes me morning by morning? He, what? he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. You see all the conditions on that? He's opening the ear. He's wanting to speak. And he said, no, I didn't turn away. So it's possible to turn away. It's possible to not want to hear him. Well, if God wants to speak, he's going to speak. Not if you don't want to hear him. Just the thought. He awakens you morning by morning. Let him wake you. Set aside time. Right? There's a verse. I didn't put it up there. But it's talking about prophesying into the womb of the dawn. Speaking into the womb of the dawn. As the day rises, let the Lord speak to you and declare into your day. And let the day give forth the things that you have proclaimed. Let the day birth what it is that you've proclaimed. Just a thought there, too, you know. You know just a thought. <laughs> what would happen if we started practicing that, huh? I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. I wonder what that's going to look like if we can practice that. Next slide. You have to practice his presence. Set aside time. It can be in your car driving to work. It can be at your lunch hour or half hour or whatever. Set aside time. He will meet you. Every time. In fact, you don't even have to worry about him showing up. He'll probably be standing there waiting for you. Because he wants to be with you. He wants to experience with you and know you and encounter you. My soul shall wait silency for the Lord alone, and my expectation shall be from him. It's an attitude of humility and an attitude of inclination. Oh, come, let us worship him. Bow down. So we have to be humble before the Lord. In other words, just coming before him, like, not like I know everything, but hey, Lord, let's hang out, let's talk. You have to have an inclination. You have to lean in to hear him. Ask of him. Ask things of him. Talk to him. Lord, I'm having a problem with this. I need your wisdom. I need a problem with this. I need your counsel. You say, how long should I wait for the answer? And everybody say it with me. As long as, long. as it takes. So in your moments there where you're spending with him, it's like, okay, he may not have answered you, but I can assure you he's heard you. And he will answer you. And what he does is he, sometimes he has to work on the answer. You understand that? He isn't just not like easy bake oven. He's just not going to whip it up for you and hand it to you. 
out of the oven like that. He may give you a word, he may give you counsel, and that might come instantaneous, but if you're asking him to deal for something on you, he may draw back. And what he does when he becomes silent is because he's working on the problem. We have to learn that when God is not speaking, it's because he's working on the problem. If you've asked him something and he's not speaking, it's because I'm working on it. There's a lady that comes here sometimes and she talked about trying to, she was in a really terrible financial crisis and she'd been praying for months about it and asking the Lord to help her. And she said she just broke down one day in her car and just started sobbing and crying in her car, going, Lord, because she said she didn't feel like the Lord was speaking to her. Why, God, why aren't you speaking to me? I've told you this, I've told you this, I told you this. And he said, she said he stopped her. And he said, she said, I just felt his presence. And he said, I'm working on it. Just because he's not speaking doesn't, or they're not experiencing something in that moment doesn't mean he's not working on it. You have to have an attitude of humility and inclination. So here's one of the big keys. I'm almost done. Psalm 95, worship is paramount to understanding God's voice. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. That's why I know. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. We know that verse. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and we are the sheep of his hand. And what's the next voice? What's the next, what's the next verse? Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion and, take, and, and as the day of trials in the wilderness. So here you have the voice of God directly linked to worship. And while we take that lower passage, and in the book of Hebrews, Paul used it to talk about salvation, that's acceptable. But in the actual context of where it's drawn from, it's drawn from the people of God learning to hear the voice of God. That's what it's drawn from. And he's saying, if you will worship and bow down, kneel before their God, your maker, understand that you're his people, and you're the people that he loves you, he's for you, he's with you, and that you will hear his voice. Have an openness to hear his voice. So worship is directly related to hearing the voice of God. Worship, humility, knowing that who he is, we know he's our God, and then we know who we are. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. See there again, who he is, who we are. Determination. You have to do what he's saying. Don't harden your heart. When God tells you something, do what he says. It's very important. We love to hear God, but we never do anything with it. I see it with prophetic word all the time. People get prophetic word, like amazing prophetic word. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. You going to do anything with that? Well, I don't know. I think I'll just wait on the Lord on that. I'm like, okay. Well, I think you're, he just told you something. You know, it's just like, it's just crazy to me. Step into what he's saying. Next slide. Last slide. So how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? This is the last question, right? Anybody want to know that question? How do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Because if you ask for bread... He's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. He, did he not say that? How do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Number one, it'll agree with instruction and tone and the direction of Scripture. When God speaks, he never contradicts himself. It will align. This is why learning to hear is important. This is why the Word of God teaches us because it shows us that God is actually speaking to us. It will be in line with the tone, the heart, and the, and the direction of the Scripture. Here's Isaiah. I'll give you this one real quick because I want to emphasize this. The people of God in the book of Isaiah are inquiring of all of these spiritists and medians. You know, they're calling up Oprah and Dr. Phil and they're trying to get all the answers to all the problems. You know, and the Lord goes, why are you going to them and not coming to me? That's what he's asking. And he says, if they speak to you and their words to you do not line up with the word, my word, my law or my testimony, then light is not in them. 
So if you're going for counsel or receiving counsel from any place and it does not line up with the way of God, that's what the word law means, if it does not line up with the way of God or the testimonies of God, the light is not in it. That's what he's saying. And so when you hear the Lord of God, it's going to line up. Well, God, I feel like the Lord told me to move in with my boyfriend. Really? What's that verse? Now, you're free to move in your boyfriend. It ain't going to produce anything good. I can assure you that. Jesus told me to do that. Did he really? What's the verse on that? Do you have one? No, no, no. I just feel like that's what he told me. Well, here's four verses that contradict that word. So we have a problem here, right? I, I could go into that really far, not boyfriend, but what people think God told them to say. And it, but while I don't want to discourage that, hearing God is good. Hearing in, in alignment with his scripture. Clear witness upon the heart. You're going to know in your knower. It's going to make sense to your spirit. You're going to know. You know that you know that you know that you know that you know. The old boys say you know it in your knower. Colossians says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. That word for peace means arbiter or umpire. God has given you an ability to discern within your spirit. It's going to line up with you. Or it's not. And I don't know if that doesn't really line up with what I spirit. That's again a developed thing. Or it's going to have confirming circumstances. What does that look like? So these are the three. This is how you know it's the Lord. Number one, it's going to line up with scripture. Number two, it's going to have a witness in your heart. You're going to have a witness in your heart. And that might, you might have to pray about that in order for the Lord to line up your heart. Or it may be an immediate witness. And number three, it's going to have confirming circumstances. There's a story in the book of Jeremiah. There's many. God tells Jeremiah, I want you to buy this land off your nephew or off your cousin. And so Jeremiah's gone, okay, so I need to buy land off my, off my cousin. He goes to the temple, and his, his cousin comes in and goes, Jeremiah, I need you to buy land off, I need you to buy this land off me. It was a confirming circumstance. You understand? You may be believing God for something, and then all of a sudden, right across your path, it comes. Well, how do I know it's God? Because were you not believing him for it? And here it comes across your path. You understand? You understand? It's a confirming circumstance. We learn to hear him by asking. We have to want to hear him. That's huge. Hunger is everything. Jesus' presence is drawn towards hunger. You can literally pull him if you're hungry for him. Right? Sometimes he waits a little bit because he wants you to get strong. He wants you to strain under the weight of what it is that you're doing because he wants you to get strong. He's trying to build up, those, build up those muscles. He wants you to hunger for him. You have to want to hear him. You have to be hungry for him. You have to be willing to give yourself a margin. Find a margin. I don't make decisions very quickly. I don't. I don't, make, I don't take forever either, but I wait till I hear the Lord. Because I have no interest in walking in the flesh in some of the decisions that I make. <laughs> I want to hear the line of the Lord on it. So quietness, worship, adoration, thanksgiving. And everybody say it with me. Ask. Ask. Ask him. Get quiet. Read your Bible. Lord, speak to me. Get a paper, bit of pad out. Just start reading the New Testament. Lord, speak to me through your word. And let stuff start jumping out at you. Let, write it down. Let stuff push into you. And it, that's an easy way to start hearing his voice. It's a very easy way. Then you can go into more meditative practices. You can start hearing. Lord, speak to me. And if you really want to heighten it, you can go into the school of prophetic and you start learning even more stuff. Did you guys get anything out of this? All right. Let me bless you because I'm out of time. <laughs> I'm preaching you right out the door. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> For my next hour, we'll be taking a... Let me blast you. Just open up your hearts. Lord, we just thank you. You're so good. You love your people so much, God. You're so hungry for them. You want, you want them to know you. You want them to hear the voice of their loving Father in their lives. You want to guide us and counsel us and be with us and relate to us. Since, Lord, you're so good. We just honor that. We bless that. 
And God, in your name, I bless these people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And forever, may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Oh, after the second service? Right now? Oh, all right. Prophetic team's going to minister right now. I guess they're jumping off on my words. So if you want want to get a prophetic word in between services, uh, which is going to be real quick, it's going to be like half a boom, you go, go for it. So Hank and the prophetic team. All right, we love you. God loves you. Have a great week.